Welcome everybody to the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Joshua. And I'm, I'm Brandon. Awesome. Well, uh, if you guys uh, notice, there's something different in the background. I uh, got booted out of the uh, studio upstairs and now I have a more spacious area for all the things that I have. Guitars, books, um, this studio and uh, so actually this uh, setup um, whenever we get more people in here we'll be able to um, have more people in here have a better view and everything for the live side of things so um, this is going to be a better thing so things are changing yet again um, but there is continuity um, that this is the tag you podcast we're here for the transcendental argument uh, for God and uh, that starting with God is the starting point for all knowledge um, ultimately Jesus Christ being our wisdom and our knowledge without Christ and his revelation we cannot know a single thing and everything reduces to absurdity but anyway I just wanted to uh, also um, not just introduce Josh and Brandon as just Josh and Brandon anymore we're going to actually beef them up with a cool title someday, um, but they're going to be now our Taggurate Fellows um, as well. So they're going to hopefully take a little bit more of a part in what we do just to uh, just uh, spread uh, more information, have more succinct and detailed uh, talks and discussions about certain things. So if you've noticed that, you know, they had a, they were at the God and government conference, we've talked post mill stuff like that. So kind of keep them in that vein and just, uh, I, I want to learn from them as well. So I hope, uh, these two guys that have joined us a bunch of times now, um, can impart something to tag your it and, um, impart something to you. And that again, everything is just edifying and uh, we come together um i guess as you would say for christendom right that's right yeah so right. <laughs> so the new christendom this is what i guess uh, we can say taggerate is all about that christendom 2.0 that's, that's right what I mean. <laughs> so and that's uh you know what we're going to talk about tonight um but uh, just some for some housekeeping um if you notice in the scroller if you go to uh taggerateministries.org slash B B R pub. Um, you can get the did God stutter, um, PDF, uh, for the gift of any amount. If you want to do that, um, just, uh, hit the button, send that, make sure you include your email. I will personally email you the PDF file. That's the way we're doing it. And that actually helps, um, directly, um, come to tag. So it's not going through any sort of any intermediaries or anything. Um, and that way we get, you know, more of the funds anyway for, Taggurate Ministries and what we do, um, but that's been out. The sales uh, on Amazon have been kind of cool with the um, with the uh, hard copies. Um, also, I've ordered some hard copies to send to anybody that doesn't want to utilize uh, Amazon, which is totally okay with me. So, if you want to, that that actually helps Taggurate um, more directly as well. Is if you would want to order that, so I'll let you guys know if you guys pay attention to uh, the Facebook page. I'll let you guys know that I have hard copies, and uh, you can get them from me as well for seven fifty. Um, but yeah, that's that's been exciting, and uh, hopefully, Brandon, um, we're gonna work with you sometime. 
on on a That'd be awesome. Yeah, on a B and R or Baptist and Reform publication book. So we've got a few irons in the fire when it comes to that and still testing the waters with did God stutter anyway and how this is all working out. So but guys, thank you uh, again just for your time and uh and coming and discussing with me. Dave couldn't be here tonight. He's got a meeting. Um busy dude, uh but the cool thing is is always having a good community of guys around to always keep something going. Gets keep something talked about anyway. So I called on you guys because uh, I guess back in the eighties we had a bunch of theonomists and they were Presbyterians <laughs> and uh, we had problems um, in the, I guess the scholastic realm of theonomists and uh, Westminster uh, theological seminary. You kind of already had that discussion and fight and it's kind of settled over the years, but now it just seems like there's an uptick in Baptists talking about theonomy so we're always the late guys to the party i guess you know I, you know yeah the westminster confession and then uh then you had the london baptist come out and then you know they got that uh thing and that's exactly why we have baptist and reform publications it's totally tongue-in-cheek <laughs> playing to that issue anyway so we're just the little the little brothers of the westminster guys that are just dunking people on profession right so, <laughs> so but yeah so the cool thing is is theonomy is getting talked about in baptist life what do you have you guys seen as far as the theonomic baptist movement well if you want to start a uh, a Twitter fire. I mean, just say the word theonomy, and you will make you you can hear the screams just by reading Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, it it is, you know, and joking aside, the thing that's concerned me uh, concerned me the most about this is you see a lot of really good Reformed guys, Reformed Baptists, other Reformed Presbyterians, who are really turning their guns around on theonomists mm. and like i was mentioning to you earlier and it just seems to me that in the moment that we're in and culturally speaking with the enemies and haters of god surrounding the church now in canada and parts of the united states persecuting the church to think that someone who wants to apply god's law and his standards to every area of life including the government is somehow your enemy I just don't see how we can be talking or thinking that way. We can yeah. have disagreements, in-house debates, but to say that person is my enemy when we've got people who want to throw us in prison or think that we should be eradicated from the earth as white Christian men. Hmm. <laughs> Not that we want to identify ourselves by our skin color, but yeah. you know. So, yeah. We we're glad it's being talked about, you know but we would like to see it being talked about as brothers in-house debates and disagreements rather than throwing, making ourselves out to be each other's enemies. Yeah, yeah. Because we need God's law at this point in time, as always, but it's very evident today that we yeah. need God's law. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, you know, just, just in this, you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen that, I'm trying to think, I'm a part of a couple of groups on Facebook anyway, theonomic groups, and so I don't really post in them a whole lot but it's a really good uh thing to be a part of just to see um what people are finding and so it becomes a good resource um on finding articles and just seeing what the landscape is out there but yeah this uh came up and now the baptists are definitely uh, there was tons within the past couple of weeks just tons of articles coming out um talking uh, speaking against theonomy and you know I'm, I'm seeing this you know i can cower in fear and go like oh no scholarship baptist we're gonna we're gonna end up like killing this thing and i'm going like wait a second no no god's 
God's word never returns to him void. Yeah, so there's please nothing. Please keep exposing the arguments. <laughs> yeah, so the, so <laughs> right. it's one of those things. Even even in negativity, it, there is discussion. And so you know, my my hope and prayer is that this does um, bring us together. Um, and it's going to look bad at the very beginning as we uh, question each other and stuff. And this is where we need to show the world, uh, you know, civil disagreements. Um, that we still have, a, you know, what what are our main um, starting points that we agree on? Because, I mean, if you look at, you know, the Reformation, Martin Luther and Zwingli couldn't shake hands, um, but they're both great reformers. And had so much unity. Yeah. But there's yeah. one big issue. Yeah, that yeah. Luther cannot let go. Yeah. And then, you know, you go down and, you know, here, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, Presbyterians and Baptists, you know, you know, we all love this 1689 confession here at the, at, on this table. I get you're on this table, Brandon. We're at, the I, table. Yeah. <laughs> I feel very present. Yeah, you're so present, but yeah. So you know, even if you look at the Savoy and you look at the London Baptist and you look at the Westminster, there is a lot more unity than uh, disunity in those documents. Mm-hmm. And we know um, that the kingdom of God grows. I mean, we're, we're post mills here too. So um, um, we know that the kingdom of God grows slowly um, we know that uh, God is that through Christ, He is conforming us to the image of of His Son um, until we reach the unity of the faith. And so, you know, there is unity, but we do have to have starting points. And you know, the the issue of theonomy with me, it's a big issue because there are starting points. I think in the conversation that aren't um, being talked about. So it does look like we're enemies, and we're not resting on well, we do, um, we are theon. We we if you're a Christian, you have to be a theonomist. And so we need to have that discussion. What what is theonomy? Um, what is the definition? And what is our starting point so that we can be brothers and, and have a have a conversation and stuff? So, but I'm glad this is getting talked about. So I wanted to uh, definitely uh, bring this up. You know, I, I know some people at uh, at um, CBTS. Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. I know we all probably have been influenced, read stuff from people that have are a part of uh, the seminary or have gone to the seminary. Yeah, love like a lot that. of those so, guys. Oh yeah, it's great. Like, we had Sam Waldron um, yeah. at the very beginning, like, maybe three That's years right. ago. Like that was our first show of the year was to talk about the sixteen eighty nine confession and stuff like that. And uh, it was great having Sam Waldron on there. So there's no ill will in this, but we do want to expose the fact that, you know, theonomy um, is still an issue of misunderstanding and mischaracterization. Um, And that's what leads to um, each other treating as treating us each other as enemies. And so, um, so there is this uh, article I saw, it's called why is theonomy unbiblical and this is from covenant baptist theological seminary written by tom hicks i yeah that's right tom hicks so um some background that you supplied uh just to give some background since you knew who is tom hicks well i know that he used to be on i don't know if it's the board or if he was like a regular contributor or member of something of the founders ministry Mm -hmm. which we love founders Mm -hmm. and then um it was probably a year and a half or so ago he and a few other guys uh, resigned from there for various reasons and um one reason so. <laughs> what's that Brandon? <laughs> it was only one reason but yeah yeah, yeah go ahead <laughs> it was it was uh had well i mean so fred malone uh tom hicks and i can't remember um the other guy but uh they resigned um 
when the trailer for by what standard that's came right. out actually that's when that's when all that happened so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right and so when we're talking about by what standard i mean that's a constant hashtag <laughs> know. My, you know but we're right. talking about we're talking about theonomy um and stuff like that you know there there has to be a standard and that's that's the issue of theonomy is uh what is that standard and how do we work it out anyway so um we've we've got this um article um he's got eight points here i'm thinking i got the number right eight or nine points here that he hit and that's what we want to hit tonight but uh you know again why the big issue is um this i want to read this from psalms too we all have to agree on this um and and long for this and believe this but psalm 2 says why do the nations rage and why do the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the lord and his anointed one let us tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction. You judges of the earth, serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. So we have to agree Amen. with that. We have to agree that the kings must pay homage to the Son, which we know in the New Testament is Jesus Christ enthroned, and that's whenever we get in Colossians 1 there, where, again, my, my favorite thing, and I, I, I like to expose people to because they just read right past it, but in Colossians 1, it talks about Christ being over all thrones and dominions and then the church, and we like to talk about him over the church all the time, mm-hmm. but we kind of skip over the fact that Paul there talks about him being over every nation, being the head of state over every nation first, and then the church. So, you know, so that's, that's a major thing. So we have to start there. Now, when we get into particulars, uh, you know, this is where we have the discussion, but we have, we have to start off. We're brothers underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the great commission. He has all authority. So whenever we get into this, um, let's just make sure if, if you can't agree with, uh, if we can't agree on Psalm two and what it means, then that is an issue that we have to resolve first before we can get into particular, um, conversation. So anyway, um, I'll start off uh, just by reading here. Um, It says, um, before critiquing theonomy, we need a good definition. Some people today who use the word theonomy don't mean anything more than God's law because the etymology of the word theonomy is theos, which means God, and namos, which means law. They only want to affirm that God's law is supreme over man's law, and they are right about that. God's transcendent Transcendent moral law is the norm that norms all norms. Governmental laws should always be consistent with God's law, and human law must never violate God's law. And we say together, amen. amen. <laughs> but there's going to be problems with uh, that, that come in, in here. And he says, but in this post, I'm using the word theonomy in a more technical sense, um, which is rooted in the historic usage of the term. Theonomy in the technical sense teaches that old covenant judicial laws 
are the universal moral standard of civil law for all Gentile nations. So do you agree? Do you guys, what do you guys think of that uh, definition that uh, Tom Hicks uses here? I think that that's an accurate definition of what people like Bonson, Rush Dooney, and Gary North would say uh, uh, theonomy is for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least he's interacting with it correctly yeah. on that on, and, at the beginning. At least he doesn't as you get throughout it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, on on my end, you know, because like if you read uh, Deuteronomy four six through eight, uh, that's that is the major issue is that God did give them law. Um, they were sub- to be a testimony to the Gentile nations around them. Um, this is what I like to say to people that it is that the law was actually an apologetic and an invitation. I know we don't want to think about law like that, but it was actually an invitation. You're supposed mm-hmm. to see these laws worked out. You're supposed to see a nation um, that was so awesome that had a God so near them um, that people would stream to Israel. So in and Israel if if you read the I mean with with the New Testament the, the whole the whole thing of scripture Israel is supposed to include everybody anyway. So, and that's why Jesus actually demolished the temple because he they shut out the kingdom to the people. Um so and even in a prophetic passage in Isaiah chapter 2 it the language you just hinted at of you know you you were going to Deuteronomy 4 around there yeah. so where the nations are looking in and saying oh how righteous and just these laws. Then you have Isaiah 2. Did I just come and plug you? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Technical difficulties. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> in Isaiah chapter 2, you have the prophetic passage of the nations. It says, in the latter days, the nations will stream up the mountain of God. And within that, it, it mentions the kings going up the mountain of God saying, teach us your law. Mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. lord yeah and that's not even simply about the surrounding nations in old covenant era israel but it's a prophetic passage yeah about the nation seeking to obey god's law now the thing you know i think it, it feels like some of these guys don't understand that we may we can have some debate and disagreement on what exactly those laws should be but that principle i think that should be there because it's in Isaiah 2 about a time in the latter days yeah. where nations are seeking, saying, teach us your law. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's, it's a good statement as far mm-hmm. as it goes. Mm-hmm. So uh, he goes on to say the basic presupposition of theonomy is that God gave the judicial law to the nation of Israel as a universal law of perfect justice for all nations because it is a perfect reflection of God's moral character. Some of the most prominent early proponents of this kind of theonomy include Greg Bonson, uh, Rush Dooney, uh, and uh, Gary North here. And um, so, uh, so yeah, he's right on, you know, the, the people that, you know, are good to read, um, you know, just to poison the well here is like, you know, yeah, we do have disagreements um, with Bonson and Rush Dooney and Gary North and some issues, but we start with, we believe Psalm 2 here. We right. believe um, that Christ is over all the nations. He will be handed. There are his, he, he did his work, uh, you know, on the cross. It's not just for your personal salvation, but it was for his whole creation. And then whenever he's done doing what he's doing now, he's going to hand it over to the father, um, whenever and, he's done. So, you know, one thing that I would just want to, to say to 
So I don't know how much you guys have talked about Theonomy on this tag podcast before. So forgive me if I'm treading old ground here. But one of the things that that Rushdoony and Bonson were, were trying to do was just um, present the idea that um, all of God's word for all of humanity is the goal. Mm-hmm. And um, the it was a corrective. It was a much, much, much needed corrective to a very um, almost Gnostic view of human life mm-hmm. and the institutions that God has created. And so, um, you know, when, when they, so when theonomists, when theonomists say something like the old covenant judicial laws are the universal moral standard for civil law for all Gentile nations, I would say they are uh, a part of the universal standard for civil law, even for Gentile nations. Like, but I, I also, one of the reasons, and we talked about this a little bit before we even started, one of the reasons why um, I want to jump to the defense of people like Bonson and Rushdoony in a situation like this is because even as we're going to unveil, the problem is that any other uh, way of thinking than to say all of God's word for all people, all humanity, all of life is... Uh, uh, well, it's low-grade Gnosticism, but it's also just a real betrayal to the biblical ethic and the way that the Word of God works. And like you mentioned, Colossians 1, of course, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. It's a betrayal of those ideas um, to relegate some of God's Word um, to being fully and completely obsolete or something like that. So um, I'm, I'm completely with my brothers. Uh, um Bonson and Rush Dooney, even if I might disagree with them on some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking of as you were reading Psalm 2 and what we've been talking about thus far, one of the one of the verses in Psalm 2 is where the Father is telling the Son, ask of me, mm-hmm. and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your prepossession. And then what does Jesus come along and say in John chapter 3, I think it's John three thirty six somewhere around there, he says, the Father has given all things into my hands. And so, as we're trying to exposit that, yeah, what yeah, does Jesus mean? The Father mean? loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Yeah. The one who believes in the Son shall have eternal life, yeah. Yeah, and so when we're trying to understand what does he mean when he says all things are put into his hands, well, we would want to look and see, is there anywhere else in the Bible or any, any prophetic passages that are telling us something that the Father is going to give to the Son? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one place to start, and there you have the Father telling the Son, the nations are your possession, your mm-hmm. your inheritance, mm-hmm. and Jesus coming along and affirming that, saying, "Yep, Father's so, put yeah. it in my hands." And that uh, that's a you know that, then that gets into the document here with his points because yeah. um, he started with the New Testament right there. There you go. <laughs> so right. yeah, so the, the, right. yeah, the yeah, so the first issue, um, you know, that why he's calling a. Uh, Theonomy unbiblical. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I might, I'm gonna. This is a new studio, and uh, he's it's getting just even me. I'm just, it. uh, <laughs> That's fine. He keeps too, pulling too crazy. Yeah, keeps pulling out the uh, headphone from the jack, and so I'm gonna have to find a, a better spot, spot for that. Anyway, so uh, we'll I learn. You're cool. I learn. <laughs> I'm gonna make things streamlined for everybody. But anyway, the uh, first point here, um, he says, theonomy has a flawed hermeneutic of Old Testament priority. Well, without even reading it, what um, how did you get to uh, theonomy? Did you get it from the Old Testament? Did you go to the New? Like, what's your hermeneutic? When are you guys, uh, you know, getting into theonomy here? 
I mean, it, I would I would affirm a New Testament priority, mm-hmm. not as something that says the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore, but just yeah. as it as it shedding an interpretive a, a priority and priority of interpretive light on the old. Mm-hmm. The way we understand the old is most clearly is what is the New Testament commentary on it, mm-hmm. and and that's you know where you know I've come to it. Yeah, you know Jesus when he rose from the dead. You know, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Mm-hmm. And he says, go to the nations and disciple them, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Yeah. That's more than just simple conversion of the soul, but it's an all of life instruction, um, which necessarily includes um, civil realms, mm-hmm. which is a big part of life. Yeah. Um, so, that, I mean, that's just one quick answer. Uh, no, uh, yeah, Matt, Matt, uh, a sermon on Matthew 28, 10 years ago, was the first time that I uh, ever heard, yeah, 10 years ago, uh, first time I ever heard the word theonomy, and uh, it was it was only a sermon on Matthew 28. It was just asserting that we could, that we ought to disciple nations, not just, uh, you know, individuals who darken the doorsteps of our church buildings but nations mm-hmm. and uh yeah ever since then it's just been kind of a trying to mind the depths of of the implications of that mm-hmm. yeah and even in uh you know the book of revelation is a big one there's so much language about jesus you know uh ruling the nations with a rod of iron or he's going forth on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth which is his word yeah conquering what the nations? Yes, um, the kings of the earth. Oh, what is that in Revelation six? Yeah. Um, now, of course, I'm taking a, a preteristic reading, so oh, no. it's easy for me to apply <laughs> so, that in this situation. Yeah. And that's and that's the <laughs> issue. And that's the issue um, that it's trying to convey here. It does it poorly, but he says, uh, um, you know, theonomy arrives at its conclusions by insisting that particular Old Testament laws persist persist unless they are specifically abrogated by the new testament um but this reads the bible improperly theonomy's hermeneutic is consistent with pedo baptism so for one it's a it's a it's written by a baptist so they're going to try to be like hey you're a baptist acting like a presbyterian now that is just a cheap (laughs) shot this is false (laughs) for one and then here's the other issue is then he ends up going on you know it's also matches the hermeneutic of dispensationalism i never knew that dispensationalism was so continuous at all right so this is a cheap shot at calling baptist presbyterians which doesn't offend me because i'm more closer to a presbyterian than modern baptist right now anyway and if you're at covenant baptist theological seminary you should be considered more presbyterian than baptist to the modern baptist anyway so no problem um but then and then the cheap shot is if you if you go to covenant baptist theological seminary (laughs) they are coming out against post mill a whole lot too so why not take a nice cheap shot and also um, call your hermeneutic, you know, it, this is, this can be uh, dispensational. And it's like, no, this is a, this is just fallacious. Um, just an attempt to um, get you to maybe question yourself. Right. But it's not true. So, you know, so it's consistent with pedo baptism, which says that since the new Testament does not abrogate the old Testament inclusion of infants, then infants must be given the sign of baptism. 
Um, Theonomy is also consistent with the Old Testament priority hermeneutic of dispensationalism, which teaches that the uh, promises of God made for Israel cannot be typologically fulfilled in Christ and the church, but uh, must be literally fulfilled uh, in national Israel. Um, so, I mean, I've got some things I can say to this. I don't I'll open the floor to you guys real quick, but. Well, I mean, I, I would just say that um, theonomy absolutely does not assert that the promises that God made for Israel can't be typologically fulfilled in Christ and the church. It absolutely asserts that they can be typologically fulfilled in Christ and the church. It also, I think that's the, it also asserts that it can be, uh, um, that, that the, the, covenant language, the words of God in the Old Covenant can be fulfilled and a, a better word even is applied in many, many other ways mm-hmm. uh, beyond just the church. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's a real false dichotomy. It really is. And a straw man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's what, when, when you think about it, you know, Christ, uh, charged the Pharisees, he was like, you, re- you take the scriptures and you think you can find eternal life in them, but you are rejecting me. So you don't necessarily need new Testament priority to actually come. And, and you don't, whenever you think about it, you don't need necessarily need new Testament priority to go into the old Testament and actually find that, uh, it, there's a covenant anticipated that is different. And things will yeah. change and who is in the covenant and you can make your credo case from what I guess uh, Shisko would say. And uh, if you watch the debate of uh, James White and him, the roots to the fruits, you know, that's the, what the what his side was like, you know, James White's side is the, the fruits to the roots. And then his was the opposite, the roots to the fruits. And he, the cool thing about uh, uh, a uh, ultimate standard the way the Bible is, um, you can have New Testament priority, but it's all again tota scriptura that we have to understand. So yeah, we have a New Testament priority um, as far as the commentary, like you said. But you can go the other way around if you are if have the Holy Spirit and dwell dwelling you, and like the people of old, be able to read the Old Testament, find Christ, find these things, see who's in the New Covenant, what, what that's anticipating, and so you can make a credo baptism um, thing, and then you also know that. Israel is supposed to include everybody and that everybody was going to be grafted in even before the new Testament came in and we had the full revelation, you know, that that was supposed to be that way because why even without it, you know, that even without new Testament priority, Peter was able to say, I looked in the old Testament and they they're saved just like we are. Mm-hmm. So even without the new Testament all written out and given. Yeah. And, and you know, there's a sense in which I can really say that, I, I need the Old Testament to help me understand New Testament. Mm-hmm. And also, I need the New Testament to help me understand the Old Testament. Yeah. There's absolutely. a sense in which you can really say that because we don't want to divide up Scripture against Scripture. Yeah. But we want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Yeah. It's a united, uh, it's, it's a united word from God. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. So, I mean, these are just like, again, uh, since it's written by a Baptist to Baptist, you know, I, I feel that these are cheap shots, um, just trying to get somebody to second guess themselves to get into the rest of the article. But uh, he goes on to say, it's true um, that earlier revelation is vital to understanding for the context of later ever revelation. And in that sense, earlier revelation is logically prior to later revelation. Um, but sound hermeneutical principles recognize the later revelation has interpretive priority over earlier revelation. Revelation, and that's why I say, and that's why we are theonomists. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, you know, if you go to First uh, Ephesians 6, and you can quote it uh, off your brain, Brandon. Ephesians oh, yeah, 6, Ephesians 6, 1, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah um, Paul applying uh, Old Testament law to uh, not to the church, actually, because he's applying it just to uh, the institution of the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, for this is the first commandment with a promise. Um, he's applying o- Old Testament law to, uh, yeah, specifically to the institution of the family. So already we have a case where all of God's word is applying to all of life, not just the church, not and and not, not just Israel. Um, I don't even understand like what Tom Hicks is trying to do by comparing us to the dispensationalist. But um, yeah, Paul's clearly applying this to. Um, a completely different jurisdiction and institution than either civil or ecclesiastical. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got uh first Corinthians five, which takes the feast um, where you get the leaven out of your house and then he changes it into like, it still has meaning and uh, you get the leaven of malice out of you. Um, so there's the change there, but it's still alluding to the Old Testament. Um, you've got First uh, Timothy uh, five eighteen and nineteen, and I know that uh, we can talk about the language that I use here because it's what we did earlier. Um, but um, something that um, just uh, just in study and stuff, uh, this is something I Jeff Durbin um, pointed out in his sermon on it as well. You know, the New Testament. If we're going to be New Testament priority, you can find an assumption of continuity. Now we can talk about that continuity and and define it, but there is an assumption there um, that there is continuity yeah. between covenants. Um, and so these kind of things, you, you can you can utilize the terminology, you know, like because Paul brings in, um, you know, paying your elders because you don't muzzle an ox while he treads out grain. Yeah. Well, that is an explicit. He uses an animal husbandry law, yeah, to make but he the applies case for it to pastors. people. So I guess if, yeah, I didn't yeah. know you're a horse. <laughs> I didn't know you're you're an ox of a man. I'm a workhorse, yeah. man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So you know there is the assumption. Um, so we can do this New Testament priority. So that again mm-hmm. negates, um, you know. He is a better, maybe a try at a better argument or anything, but it does negate that um, it does assume Old Testament priority and it does not. Um, but um, what do you guys, I don't know if you guys want to delve I, into that. I was going to say, you know, an, another example though is that Paul himself, uh, the situation where he's uh, he says, you know, if there's anything that would make me worthy of death, go for it, basically. He's, yeah. you know, um, so <clears throat> there he's, you know, he's acknowledging there are civil laws that he, he needs to be under. And mm-hmm. he's saying, you can, you can objectively determine if I'm worthy of death. And the only way we can object, objectively determine that is with an objective standard. Mm-hmm. Right. And who was, who was Paul, what government was Paul talking to? Right. Not Israel, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, mm-hmm. not a not a Israel government. Yeah, not right. not Jerusalem or Jewish government. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to the phrase continuity, what I would say, the way that I would say it is, as I'm reading my as I'm reading my Old Testament, and I come across a law, I do not assume that the law has continuity with the New Testament as a one to one. But I fully say that there's continuity in that it applies 
to the people of God, one, and two, that there's a hermeneutic that the New Testament uses that assumes continuity. So I would say all of that, even while saying, I'm not sure, you know, as I'm reading through, so the Levitical laws, yeah. um, just as one example, I'm not saying that I always know exactly how that law applies or has been maybe fulfilled in Christ, um, laws about sacrifices. Um, you know, but um, I can absolutely say that there is some way that it's still profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Yeah. And so if that is what we mean by continuity, then absolutely we ought to assume continuity. If we mean continuity in the sense of there's a one-to-one, this law can just be transposed right over into the New Testament, New Covenant, without any need for um, uh, application in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, at that point, then we need to talk. Yeah. We have to work through those things. But um, that's that's one of the things, again, I, I'm going to end up, especially because we're only on point one, so I'll try to not say this a whole lot oh, more time. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess we're, gonna, yeah, we're still on point one. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to beat the horse yeah. of Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Um, that all a theonomist is trying to do is apply Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen to everyone. Right, that all Scripture is profitable for reproof and correction and rebuke and exhortation, right, mm-hmm. for training in righteousness, um, and that that is a righteousness is something that's required of all people. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah yeah so yeah i mean uh, yeah, but yeah just the the big issue again is um you know you're using you're utilizing the uh the the passage that talks about the grapha um and so he i understand that he's wanting to say it's an old covenant hermeneutic priority or whatever but then again they were they were um held accountable to that they were held accountable to the scriptures that they had and they would have had the same information now the new testament brings it to full light but they were still held accountable for what they had because God's word is always sufficient, even if it's not as, not as much information. Um, so, you know, the training in righteousness and, and being competent with the graph of the old Testament scriptures, um, we just, we have more light, so we're more responsible, <laughs> but you know, so you can, you can beat this, uh, you know, new Testament priority thing all you want. Um, but you know, I think we've pretty much demolished that one <laughs> out the gate, um, you know, w- with that one. So um, now that's, that's a little bit of a less one, but he goes on a uh, point two, um, says theonomy does not account for the fact that Gentile nations are not, and never were under the old covenant. And I'm, I had to question this. I'm like, what, where do you get that from? <laughs> what what we're we we understand you know, i i just wrote down yes we do <laughs> we 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 understand that the gentile nations are not and never were under the old covenant i mean if you read by what standard from greg bonson he does a really good treatment of how how god held the gentile nations around them accountable and poured out judgment on them and you know utilized israel to clear them out right in judgment um so they were held accountable why and uh, we're going to get into this term natural law, but he says the laws particular to the old covenant do not bind Gentile nations. Uh, Gentile nations are under natural law, which is a work of the moral law written on the hearts of all human beings. So he's just saying he's he's saying nothing that we're ne- necessarily against. I mean, I don't like the term natural law because I know what it, what comes out of it. I mean, he ends up defining natural law. 
again, as uh, natural law is nothing other than the reflection of God's moral character and human beings who are made in his image. Um, but here's my contention that um, he ends up going down. It says, when God judged the Gentile nations in the Old Testament, he never judged them for violating the Old Covenant judicial law. Rather, he judged them for violating his moral law as summarized in the Ten Commandments. Well, for one, what are the Ten Commandments? I mean, the Ten Commandments, I think they're the summary of the Old Covenant, but they contain moral law. Yeah. You know, so... Ironically, they also contain civil law, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> and judicial law, right? Yeah. So, what is the judicial law? So, the judicial law is yeah. the moral law worked out civilly, right? It was a it was a moral issue for the for the Israelites who had to, you know, follow these specific laws. You know, not picking up sticks on the Sabbath was moral in their case. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, to say that it, they Gentile nations were not judged for these things, you know, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things they, they left their land desolate, right? To where even um, Israel um, wasn't even supposed to take any produce from the land for years. And we know that God likes to leave land fallow because Sabbaths are missed and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there, there are issues, but so I would like to know what his, I don't know if there is a definition of judicial law. I didn't see one in any of this. Um, there's nothing defined, but so we'll just say, we'll, we'll toss it, the ball back in his court. He's got to define what judicial law is. The judicial law is the moral law worked out civilly. Mm-hmm. And so these, these people were conquered, not just individuals, right? They were conquered as societies, right? So God did hold them accountable to a judicial law. They had a wrong yeah. one that was worked out by individuals who rebelled against him and a and a group of people that liked the same rebellion and they you know as families or whatever and uh God judged them not as individuals but as peoples and cleared them out of the land. Yeah. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Mm-hmm. And he didn't send him to go you know, tell a few people within the city to repent, but to go tell Nineveh as a people, nation, city, whatever, to repent. And who's involved when they when God does grant repentance, who's involved with that? The king. Mm. And the people are fasting and, and repenting as as a societal whole. Mm-hmm. You know, not just as a couple individuals here and there. Yep. Well, and, you know, I think one of the things that God, ju- so judicial law, oftentimes it has a specific uh, emphasis on uh, punishment, right? So, um, you know, judicial law is the moral law worked out and often with, with sanctions, right? With punishments. And, you know, so so if we're just talking about issues of, of moral law being worked out, so not ceremonial law, but moral law being worked out, then one of the beefs that God had with other nations was their unjust practices, their yeah. lack of proper righteous punishments for these sins. It was it was not only their lack of obedience, it was not just that he was punishing them for um, being murderers and rapists 
he was punishing them also for not putting to death murderers and rapists. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, for not punishing murderers and rapists. So um, it was it was a condemnation of a lack of justice and righteousness. Um, Joshua, you mentioned um, Sodom and Gomorrah being punished for oppression. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it was, I mean, if you get I into that a, story. Yeah, they, yeah. they were, it, I went and looked at it and said, because they did not have compassion or did not help the poor and needy. Yeah. Right. Which would imply probably some kind of impre- oppression. Right. In, yeah. a, in, a ju- in an unjust societal way. Right. Yeah, I mean, you get some particulars in Ezekiel, but even out of the gate, you get, they were like just all wicked. So everything about it. So you yeah, know, that's a unit. That's a that's a big yeah, big word claim. So that you don't get the particulars of what yeah. it is, but it was like everything was haywire. <laughs> Why? But then again, to say something is haywire to cry was uh, was the standard by calling something completely wicked. You have right. to have a standard by that, and what is that standard? And even civilly, they were not even. Uh, so they 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 didn't just get a bunch of he God didn't just poke out individuals we see in the story that there was nobody righteous and lot was only saved because <laughs> it wasn't because of his righteousness. Um, God was going to get rid of it all, but God was gracious um, at, with Abraham's intercession and everything to go, go get him, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> you know, and that's it, you know, so that, you know, it's still the same story of God um, being all in all and working on all. Um, and it's nothing on our part. That's testimony of scripture there. Um, but yeah, like you get, you get those, but you still have a standard. You still have a law that God holds people to. And, you know, if you're going to say it's not, um, you know, is God double-minded? That's the, that's the big question that, you know, I, whenever I was reading through Greg Bonson, you know, he definitely hits that. Does, does God have double standards? Does God have one standard for one people and another standard for other people? And he doesn't. So there is a law. And so, you know, here again, he just doesn't have a definition of judicial law anyway that he's arguing against. Um, and then just missing the idea that the judicial law was the uh, moral law worked out. And then you do have ceremonial laws, which again, that's whenever we get into the this, this, this next point. So theonomy doesn't properly account for the fact that the old covenant as a whole together with all its laws has been abolished. What say you? I mean, so uh, I I don't know exactly. So one of the problems, I guess, you're asking just about the title. Mm-hmm. Um, I would. So it's so funny. You know, I'm, I'll probably beat this drum too. Uh, I have a lot of disagreement with Bonson about um, particulars of theonomy, but again, I don't think that Tom Hicks is being fair to. Mm-hmm people like I, so if we're just going to talk about let's just use bonson and rush Dooney. i don't think that tom hicks is being fair to bonson and rush Dooney um because they do properly account for the old covenant as a as a covenant mm-hmm. um uh being uh fulfilled you know they wouldn't use the word abolished yeah. but fulfilled um uh you know tell us right brought to its brought to its goal and yeah. end they do account for that, but part of the, part of the problem, and maybe this is where you're headed, but part of the problem is that then what Tom's doing in his article, uh, I'm talking about him like we're on a first name basis. Yes. What Mr. Hicks is doing <laughs> in his uh, article is going to all the passages in Hebrews 
uh, about the ceremonial law, about how the old covenant is fulfilled ecclesiastically, mm-hmm. um, which is not what the theonomist is trying to argue about at all. Yeah. You know, um, and so it, it just, that whole, the whole point seems a little bit like a, a straw man as yeah. far as what theonomists actually believe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he ends up pointing out here, like what, what has been abolished. And it's like, I agree what has been abolished by a certain definition anyway, fulfilled, um, changed. Um, but he says, you know, numerous passages of scripture teach the old covenant has been fulfilled and abolished with the coming of Christ and the establishment of the new covenant. And he goes to Hebrews, which is not a good spot as, uh, you said earlier, Brandon, um, to do anything with, but you know, he goes Hebrews seven twelve 12 talks about, there's a change in priesthood. Yeah, we totally understand the Le- Levitical priesthood is, you know, they couldn't sit down and everything, but then you have Christ, according to the order of Melchizedek, he sits down. Um, he's able to sit down because he was also the sacrifice. He was the all in all, once for all. Um, and so, yeah, you have a change in priesthood, but that's only ceremonial. Um, it says a former commandment is set aside um, because of its weakness and uselessness, which was what? The blood of golden goats and bulls cannot save anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's nothing against the theonomist. We agree. Um, uh, Hebrews eight thirteen says in sprinkling or in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. Yeah. And ceremonies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He abolishes the first, um, in order to establish the second. Yeah. Um, and then he goes to Ephesians two fourteen and 15. That says that Christ has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. Um, I'm not sure what translation this is, but it says and ordinances. And I've also seen in um, the word for an and in is ain, which could be either way, um, but in ordinances. And so he abolished the ceremonial law, but not, it's not finito. We still, we still offer our sacrifices of praise. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Um, and we, uh, we still have a priest. We still have a temple. We still have all these things. So this is what I mean by continuity. Yeah. There's a continuity, it just changed. So the word abolished doesn't mean done and over with because we can't do it that way because in Matthew five, Jesus says like the law has not been abolished. It's 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 a it, there's something continuous there, right? It hasn't been abolished. I came to a fulfill the law, which I know Bar- Bonson um takes that word to fulfill means to ratify, to establish the law. And so whenever you go from there and you have new Testament priority and you go back in the old Testament and you find out that the law is to shoot out of Jerusalem. Well, we have this broken down wall of hostility. We have no more Jew, no more Gentile, which is the problem that's in the rest of this article. He's, he's now brought the, what, what breaks down Christ breaks down the nations as Jew and Gentile, there's no more Jew and Gentile, but then he maintains, and we're going to see that here in another point. He maintains the distinction, the old Testament distinction to continue the argument. So he forgot to do that one um, in here. Um, But we, we agree with this, the ceremonial laws, but we change. So we still have like in principle, I still pray and ask forgiveness because Christ has become that sacrifice once for all. Right. So, yeah, a, a theon. If someone was not making this distinction of the doing away of the old covenant, then they would not be a Christian, mm-hmm. because that's what it means to be a Christian is to trust in Christ, who has fulfilled these covenantal requirements, and He is our greater High Priest, Prophet, Priest, King, our Temple, 
And those, you know, those passages in, in Hebrews reference, you know, they're speaking of the the abolishing of these of this of this old covenant, which is concerning our how we relate to God, mm-hmm. not concerning abolishing some standard of, of morality. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. So it has nothing to do with the moral law, and then the uh, taking the moral law um, and making it civic, um, judicial law. So uh, so it's a misrepresentation. It's a misunderstanding. You know, if we can keep it at the misunderstanding level, that'd be great. Um, but if this turns us into enemies, that's going to be you know a hard time. Um, <laughs> and I don't want it to be that way. Um, so. Um, I guess uh, yeah, we're we're at fifty one minutes. <laughs> we're gonna have a long one, boys. If you, if you're up to it, I'm totally up for it. Um, so, um, so let's go go on to point four. It says uh, theonomy doesn't acknowledge the existence of positive law in contrast to moral or natural law, and uh, that's a really weird title for me anyway. So I can just read here. It says it's uh, this is related to numbers two and three above. Natural law is the law that people know innately. Uh, again, citing Romans uh, two fourteen and fifteen, it says it's clear that God writes His work of His natural law on the hearts of all men. And uh, Romans two twenty one through twenty four shows that natural law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Natural law is nothing other than the reflection of God's moral character in human beings who are made in His image. And He says, by contrast, here uh, positive law, is, on the other hand, is the law that God posited by way of special revelation in a particular covenant. No uh, one can have known. Um, that they ought to obey positive law unless it had been revealed to them uh, in a biblical covenant. And here's what he misses is also by witness as well. What was Israel? Mm-hmm. So by witness, these Gentiles knew the positive law of God. And so he always, he's continuing to go to Romans two. And I'm like, you got to go back. You got to go back to Romans one eighteen through 32. This is always on the podcast. I'm sorry that we beat the dead horse here, but it just, people don't, People don't utilize it. Um, that everybody knows God exists. We're not doing natural theology. We're doing uh, revelational, or we're not doing natural theology, but na- natural revelation here. So there's a distinction there that has to be made, as always. But it says that that uh, at the end there, there in the in the 32 range, it says that they know the positive law. It says that they know what they do is deserving of death. They know the positive sanction against what they're doing, yet they do it anyway, and they celebrate those who do. Why? Because there's always been a witness, and we forget that. And I think we, we talked sort of hit, hit it on that earlier, um, but they, God has always had his positive law, and it's always been known. Yeah, how did... Melchizedek before the Mosaic law, how did he know how to be a a priest king of the Most High God? There had there had to be these positive law, this revelation of God passed down outside before Israel was formed as it was as a nation. Yeah, and if and if there was a special covenant made between God and Melchizedek, it would have to be written because, especially if we're talking about a covenant Baptist theological seminary, they're covenantal Baptists, and so if there's a special covenant that God made with Melchizedek, you'd think God would uh, have it written down. Right. So, how did he get the information then? Yeah, I think we don't give enough credit to the passing down of God's word from Adam on. We we don't think about that period of time. I, I think enough that Adam had he was a man who walked with God, mm-hmm. who had 
revelation from God. I, you know, there's some people, I would tend to agree, some people say Adam was the most, we tend to think of Adam as kind of this loser who ruined it, Yeah. but he was probably the most enlightened man to ever live. Hmm. I mean, so the, and, and the centuries that he lived and the people that he could directly pass these things on to, um, we very much underestimate. Yeah, it's very uh, few generations there um, before you get to the flood. I mean, right. so you're, you're looking at maybe fourth hand or maybe third hand generation. Uh, it's just, I forgot how, I, I'm trying to put it into my mind, just the times and how they all line I mean, up or whatever. Mel- uh, Methuselah knew Adam. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there you that's, go. that's the thing. So, you know, there is a witness. And when we're thinking about it, we got to think about, um, you get to the Canaanites. How far were they removed from Noah? You only had eight people that witnessed the work of God, a worldwide work of God. They lived through it, so they've experienced the grace of God, um, and and so they passed that down. So you start you're talking and about God people gave that Noah, from, yeah, positive law, yeah, which specifically with murder, yeah. So he he constitutes society, and so yeah, I mean, we're society. Dominion, Dominion mandate and Lex Talionis. Uh, Genesis nine six. There's uh, so uh, yeah that retributive justice is um, something that God. Uh, that that's one of those pieces that I think is not present in Tom Hicks' definition of natural law that I would want to include, um, based on like Romans one thirty two, is that people know that. People don't only know that murder is wrong. They know that murderers ought to be punished. Yeah. Um, And if what he wants to say positive law means is stoning, right, as opposed to hanging, well, fine. Okay, then I'll accept his definition. But I don't think that's what he's implying. I think he's forgetting that people know that murderers ought to be punished. And, um, you know, people know that... Uh, you know, children ought to be disciplined. Yeah. Uh, you know, like people, people know those things and that, that piece of, of God's moral law would be what we would call positive, right? Yeah. It's not thou shalt not, it's, it's what we shall do yeah. in response to evil. Yeah. And on that, I just, I mean, so this is an argument from nature, I guess, but just the phenomenon of, Certain crimes, especially having always been punished um, in in nations, generally speaking, you know there there was all murder. Yeah, just murder is generally speaking always been punished in civilized nations, not uncivilized nations, but civilized nations. That seems to tell us that men have an innate idea of justice and righteousness required of them in uh, the establishment of their cities and societies and things like that yeah 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 so i mean he's you know it's one of those things that you know he says theonomy does not grasp the cruce this crucial distinction yes we do the judicial laws of the old covenant are not transcendent moral or natural uh, law but they're positive laws which god commanded in the old covenant for a particular reason and you know it's one of those things yeah it's a particular reason to be a witness so that the nations knew the positive law so god did judge them because them being a witness, God gave the Gentile nations light and he judged them. And so this works out today as the church. And this is why we, we go, we, we, we should be going in front of our city council members 
our governors, our president, our house, whatever. And because we should be a witness to the law of God saying you are as Romans 13, you know, you are a minister of God. God has put it to you in this position to do this. And here is just law. Right. So let's do it. You know, or you are going to, if you don't kiss the son, he's going to be angry and wrath is coming. Right. And so there is that continuity through change. Um, but there is that still thing. And so again, you can call me a replacement theology guy, all you want dispensationalist, but it's not a replacement. It's just a fulfillment of the, the correct use of that word. The church is the fulfillment of what the old Testament anticipated, uh, being the elect people of God, um, being the church. And we do the same thing. We st- we have law and we call people to repentance to what standard the law of God. So the law is still good. You have the law and gospel who, which have to go together. You too much gospel. You miss the law. Then what is the gospel? And the gospel is only good because of the law. So we've got to maintain, um, not balance for balance's sake, but they, they have to come together or they're meaningless. So, um, Going on to point five, um, theonomy does not account for the fact that judicial laws of Israel were only to be practiced in the land of Canaan. And then this is where we have to get into the general equity issue. Um, But it says it's impossible to separate Israel's judicial law from the land of Canaan. Um, The Old Covenant law was given to the Old Covenant people who were to keep the law in the Old Covenant land, uh, Deuteronomy 4. 14 says, and the Lord commanded me that at this time to teach you the statutes and rules that you may do them in the land that you're going to possess. But then again, we've already talked about Ephesians 6, 1 in the new Testament era, right? He utilizes and you'll live long in the land. So there's some, there's some issues there. Yeah. I mean, they still, Israel still was while they were wandering, had these laws. They had to, it wasn't like they just could live lawless until they got in the land of Canaan. Mm -hmm. But it was still on them, you know, mm-hmm. as they were trying to get there. Yeah. Just because this verse is telling us about their preparation to go into the land and how they're to live once they're in there doesn't mean that it's restricted to this, you know, plot of land on on the earth. Yeah. So one thing that's important, again, to just kind of, it's actually a poor choice of examples that he yeah. uses this law about parapets. Yeah, because um, w- the distinction we're wanting to make is that okay, sure, other nations weren't required to always use the exact same uh, law, like just transpose it. A law about a law about housetops when when you live in a land that only uses A-frame houses isn't going to be super helpful. Yeah, um, but the principle behind the law was required. Mm-hmm. Now. And so that law is bad because, like we've talked about, if you've got a swimming pool and somebody falls in because you didn't take the proper precautions to protect them from falling in and they drown, then the general equity of Deuteronomy 22.8 applies. Yeah. Right? And the principle of retributive justice, meaning punishment for somebody who allows those things to happen, also applies. And certainly yeah. all nations were required to do those things. Mm-hmm. You know, better better laws. If Tom Hicks wanted to to pick on a, a theonomist, would be laws about restitution. Yeah, because there were laws about restitution that I do think had to do specifically with the 
old covenant sacrificial system. So if you stole somebody's ox, yeah. um, an ox was more valuable to an Israelite than a dog was. Yeah. Because an ox served a purpose both in a um, social setting mm-hmm. for work and things like that, but it also served a purpose in a sacrificial ceremonial setting. Yeah, well, well yeah. And, what if you were to steal the perfect firstborn animal that you were going to use for right. sacrifice? Yeah, that so, makes it more important, yeah. In that sense, there is a distinction between simply laws that have to do with retributive justice and laws that might have been specific for members of the old covenant. Yeah. Uh, in that sense, I'm, I'm fine with saying that there were laws that were pract- to be practiced only in the land of Canaan, but even the ones that ended up looking judicial oftentimes had a connection to the ceremonial side of things. Yeah. Like in the case of these laws of restitution. And so those types of distinctions, uh, you know, are not being made at all yeah. here in this article. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's one, it's one instance to rule them all and it flattens right. out. But that's how you argue these days. You flatten something right. out and then you just pound it. Right. And this is like the normal ones like, Oh, the sea root. We don't put enough. I bet you there's some culture out there that has a flat roof that they put, that they party on. All right. And so I've seen flat roofs houses here. You get a bunch of college guys that go, Hey, that might be fun. Yeah. You better stink and put a railing on there. Or if somebody dies, you should be held responsible. <laughs> you know, that's, Absolutely. that's the issue, you know? So, or around swimming pools, we put that if there's a sinkhole i mean there were sinkholes that develop in a neighborhood that i grew up around and they what did the city do they put a they put fencing around it i hated that as a kid because that was where i went to go sledding and so they <laughs> took my sledding area away but you know if i were to get hurt even though i i've never thought about that like man i'm gonna totally sue the city because i was out here sledding on my like i just never thought about that but they would be responsible if i were to hurt myself um in a sinkhole because they own that land and technically i could if i wanted to sue them so they put up a fence now me personally i'd be like no i was being stupid but that's you know <laughs> you know i i totally owned that uh that broken bone for being stupid you know <laughs> that's that's my personality on that I, I i don't think i want to sue anybody over me tripping over something i should have been aware of even though it's still though you put the law in there because it is just um even if the person doesn't enact it. If they have grace on the person that tripped and said, or, you know, or if, if I tripped and I wanted to have grace on the person that owned the property, I can still do that. Just because the law is there doesn't mean I have to ask for it. That's the other issue that whenever we're talking about theonomy, we're not talking about like, I have the right to, to it or to show grace. And that is actually what Jesus got mad at (laughs) was like, you, you're not, you're just doing the law to do the law but you're not really thinking about your heart. You're not thinking about anybody else's heart, you know? So you're just doing the law to do the law. And that's not what, that's not what it's about. But the law was there because we are sinful people and God wants a just society. So, you know, people don't talk about those kind of things when they're talking about economy either. Yeah. A lot of times, a lot of times the punishments in old covenant Israel were maximums, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And something I've said for years is that uh, a godly civil government has room for grace, you know, uh, a yeah. godly government has to have room for mercy and grace. Yeah. Um, and, and you find over and over again that, uh, the old covenant certainly did. And so one example in a lecture that, uh, I just recently listened to was how adultery could be punished by 
death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's really amazing is Joseph, thinking Mary had committed adultery, was still a righteous man when he resolved to put her away quietly. Mm-hmm. Um, and not put her to death. Yeah. And not put her to death. Yeah. And, and so he was, one, righteous, and two, not um, going to the maximum sentence yeah. for that law. So God's law contained both um, high freedom, high accountability, but mm-hmm. also, um, except in specific instances, always contained the ability to, to show grace and mercy to people as well. And yeah. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. So, we should love uh, it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We should want. We should want theonomy. That's why we're here. <laughs> so yeah, theonomy uh, misunderstands the reason for the death penalties in the Old Testament judicial law. So um, let's see here. What's a good here? It says before discussing the death penalty in the Old Covenant judicial law, it's important to understand that the covenant of common grace established the the death penalty for murder. The death penalty for murder is part of the universal moral law. Um, in Genesis nine six, the Noahic covenant of ooh, the Noahic covenant of common grace says, "Whoever sheds blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed." For God made man in His image. Um, the, 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 that is a transcendent moral principle. The punishment must fit the crime. Um, it's lex talionis, and which is the law of same, often expressed as an eye for an eye. So he goes down. It says, but other Old Testament death penalties are tied to the old covenant worship, and just for that, we again we've established already. We get it. The ceremonial laws have been fulfilled. <laughs> you know, so he's continuing to beat the same drum. It's, it's totally missing the point. So he ends up giving like a you know an example, and I'm like, yeah, that example is just ceremonial so if it's ceremonial done deal <laughs> I, I yeah I, I mean we were just talking about this on the last question making these distinctions between types of punishments and you know with the ox example on the you know but the other example brandon what is that from with the in the numbers passage where the law was when they went into a city they were to do, they were to burn it it's actually that's the one he's quoting here yeah. in the article, Deuteronomy uh, oh, yeah. thirteen sixteen. Yeah, um, and uh, you know one of the amazing things is that, uh, and 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 so like this is this is a ceremonial thing here, right here that that um, is going on. It's talking about offering the city as a burnt offering to the Lord. Yeah. And uh, one commentator was talking about the fact that burnt offerings required um, altar fire, right? Yeah. Nadab and Abihu oh, got yeah. in trouble because they used strange fire. Burnt offerings required altar fire. So this was a ceremonial thing. This was not a moral thing. So we're like, okay, good. We're on board. Yeah. Yeah. An- another really bad example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet this law still applies, but not in that way. Yeah. Right. You know, how so in thinking about how it applies uh, as we we've, we've talked about Brandon was you know what do we do now when we go into a city we don't burn it up with ceremonial authorized fire but with the preaching of the gospel amen and we burn it up and take captive <laughs> strongholds and uh, make it a, a christian city <laughs> yeah yeah right, well yeah do the very last part of verse 16 this is just wonderful it says it shall be a heap forever it shall not be built again and so, if the if the 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 offering and the sacrifice is our worship and service to God as 
great commission minded people, then we're going and tearing down the city as it was. Yeah. And may God will that it would always be righteous and holy and never be built back into an evil uh, cesspool again. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful way to apply that passage. Yeah. It's really funny that he ends up going talking about Hebrews 28 when it, that totally quotes the two witnesses issue of the old Testament. And he brings it into Hebrews, you know, anyone who died his, who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. Uh, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And, um, you know, in that context, I'm talking about people, um, who come in and, um, you know, I, I say this is definitely talking to the Jews that Hebrews was written to, and they've got greater light in Christ. And he's talking about them first gen- century Jews that he's talking to, and you know they're going to have it worse off. But again, he brings in the evidence of two or three witnesses. That is an Old Testament thing. You're not just supposed to believe one person, but you have to have independent witnesses, trials, all that kind of stuff. This is where Jeff Devering comes in and says, hug a Christian if you like that. <laughs> you know, and, and thank, thank, thank God for his law, um, because we have that. And especially when it comes to, uh, America, that's what we do because it's beautiful law because we got it from where, from the scriptures. So, um, you know, but I, I just like how he brought that into there because that just makes him more con- inconsistent. So <laughs> I think another thing that's just important, especially just in my effort to defend all all these wonderful theonomists, um, you know, all these good guys is just because the new Testament takes a case law and applies it to the church doesn't mean it's impossible that it couldn't also have an application in other areas of life. Um, and that's, that seems to be kind of a common refrain that since we only see, a lot of these Old Testament laws being applied to the church, that that must mean there's no other way that they, they can't apply to the civil realm. Yeah. They can't apply to the family. Yeah. Um, they were only applied to the church. Well, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing to New Covenant believers. Paul was yeah. writing to churches. So yeah, and, and, and the big to apply them. Yeah, there. the big issue is you get to Christ, and what does he come preaching? And we 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 all like missiology of the past like in the past century sucks because they're teaching this personal personal jesus salvation stuff what did christ come and preach and this is what got me first things comes out of his mouth is that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of god and the church is not the kingdom it's a nation for sure of priests but it is not that it's not the kingdom so what is the kingdom The kingdom is everything. Jesus said, I have a, so if you start with Matthew at the very beginning and then you get to the end of Matthew, I mean, like, this is what I did. Like, thank you government for seven weeks of reading time (laughs) to, to thwart you with the word of God, (laughs) you know? So you start with Matthew and you end with Matthew and it's law, law. You have, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. And then I have all authority in heaven and on earth go. And what's in between there is a lot of kingdom of God talk, and it's not just about the church. That's that's mm-hmm. the issue, and and so we've just been like 
church planting is great. And I love church planting. We need church planting. We need church revitalization and stuff like that because of the personal Jesus salvation, mere Christianity stuff that we've been taught for, for years because I would say of, because of dispensationalism being mm-hmm. rampant. I would like, I, I love my Amel brothers. I uh, came out of that one. Um, I didn't, I believe pre-mill stuff only because I read it and I was just being spoon fed it and I didn't study it. When I studied, I became Amel because I really didn't get pre- presented with post-mill. Uh, but now, so I, I, we can, we can get along on Amel and post-mill, but this is definitely, I think, uh, the lack of, um, stuff that we have in our churches and in our countries because of the absolute pessimism and just not caring about creation that's due to the fact of poor eschatology that just Gnostic, like you said, there's the parable in Matthew. I, I, I think Matthew 13 of the wheat field and the tares mm-hmm. where you have the tares in the wheat field growing. And it says the parable defines what the wheat field is. Yeah. It says the, it's the world. Not the church, just the world. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And that's what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus said. Yeah, yeah. And so that—that's the thing. And so, um, but I I think it's definitely for that, and that's why we need to be doing these things. Um, But uh, that's why we're having this conversation this evening. Um, But you know, it ends up going into, and I think this is an easy point to refute because if we get to the next point, is the major error of the whole document. Um, Anyway, but if uh, we go down to point seven, it says, Theonomy does not account for the fact that the Old Covenant law was intentionally severe to preserve the line of promise. And this one can be quickly refuted, severe, intentionally too severe by what standard? So a lot of people yeah. want to utilize just this. It's so severe, and um, you know, well, by what standard is it severe? Is it you, you? You said too severe. So now you're pointing. Okay, is it severe? Well, the Bible doesn't think so. God doesn't find it too severe. So <laughs> just right. from you know the outside of the title, um, but yeah, just the 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 nation of Israel was largely an unbelieving nation. The people needed a severe legal system to chasten them to preserve them as a nation until Christ would come from them. The severity of the old covenant judicial laws, especially evident in the liberal use of the death penalty. And the thing is, is here's here we're being arbitrary because um, why wouldn't want God want to preserve his people after, after Christ? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, you look, I, I, I love the idea. I think there is a great theme throughout the Bible of, and especially the Old Testament, of preservation of this seed as that plot is put out in Genesis 3.15 between the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so I absolutely love that biblical theme of protection and preservation of the seed. But again, that doesn't mean that that was the law's only purpose. It doesn't mean that it isn't still what... Uh, a standard of justice for us just because it was used in that purpose doesn't mean it can't also be other things yeah and just that again that that needs to be that talked about instead of just saying well because we have this one gospel purpose now that erases everything else yeah yeah so, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's sad. Like we don't have to hit that point, belabor that point too much just because it's that, that one's very weak. 
And uh, again, by what standard is the nice reply? Um, you'd have to, <laughs> and he's just kind of give an example as he doesn't really make a case for why it's too severe um, other than just the Jesus uh, seed issue. Um, but if we get to uh, point eight, it says in each case, when the New Testament applies the judicial laws of the old covenant, it applies the law's general equity to the church and never to the government of a Gentile nation. And this is where he screwed up up <laughs> this is where the argument screws up is because we just abolished the law the, the wall of hostility between the jew and the gentile and there are no more jew and gentile nations because we're talking about people of the covenant and in israel and then people who didn't belong to the covenant so whenever um we talked with uh, carlos uh, smith and this was the this is the same issue that's going on even in the x29 um thing whenever we're talking about social justice so they're saying that uh he said that you know paul didn't mind called calling gentiles a gentile and a jew a jew and that's in analogous to the white and black race issue and i'm going no you're losing your covenant talk you're losing your covenant language no 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 gentiles were many nations israel right. is one nation for one um and that was a covenantal status um term so we need to make sure that we're, if we're covenantal, we keep our covenantalness. Um, and so now we've broken down the wall of hostility. There is no such thing as a Jewish nation that has been destroyed royally. Preterism. No. <laughs> and <laughs> no, that's what he's but, just been talking yeah, about yeah. too this whole time. Yeah. And then he comes in and uses an old covenant definition of Jew and Gentile distinctions between nations. Yeah. And he, and so it's funny. No, no, this is God's kingdom. <laughs> this is God's kingdom. <laughs> and whoever teaches the law is a good thing, right? And then whoever uh, teaches people not to do the law, it's a bad thing. <laughs> right. is, you know, again, the, so you want to talk about new covenant. Here we go. We're in God's kingdom now underneath the Christ's authority. And there is no such thing as a Gentile Jew distinction anymore. So you can't do this. So this is where he royally screws up. Um, but he says it never, never applies. Um, one of the judicial laws of the old covenant um, applies only to the church, um, never to the government of a Gentile nation. And Mr. Romans 13, Brandon Dodd, you expounded on Romans 13 here. Isn't there something that applies? Um, he actually, Paul applies in Romans 13 to the government. Right. So, I mean, First off, it's funny because I just I hit the I hit this point too early because I was saying just um, one of the cat one of the category errors or I, that's not quite the right term but one of the errors that he's making is like we've already said assuming that just because something's applied to the church means that it can't also be applied anywhere else that's that's an assertion that needs to be proved not from silence but then on top of that. Um, here he quotes 1 Timothy 5, 17, and 18, um, which is a quotation from Deuteronomy 25, 4 about not muzzling the ox, but treads out the grain. The idea there being um, paying people what is owed to them. Mm -hmm. That's the whole idea, paying them for the work that's done. And that is, uh, as we were talking, that's the exact principle of Romans 13, 7. Yeah. 7. So we're, pay, no. all, pay to all what is owed to them. Yeah, so when we get into Romans here, it's uh, the issue would probably be, well, he doesn't say don't muzzle an ox. So, we're, you know, we're talking, if, again, we talked about it um, in Timothy. He says don't muzzle an ox while he treads out grain, which then applies it from animal husbandry 
to people and, and things like that. Um, he doesn't come you out know, like that and explicitly say this in Romans 13, but the thing is he applies this not only to elders, but to civil leaders. Well, I, I would say Paul's taking the exact same principle when he said uh, to the church, we had every right to require that you pay us. Yes. But in order to set an example, we chose to work. Um, yeah. There, Paul's doesn't quote Deuteronomy 25.4, and yet still says we had a right. Why? It's based on the same principle he's pulling out there in First Timothy, and it's also based on the same principle he's pulling out in Romans 13, 6 and 7, for because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing, mm-hmm. paid all what is owed to them. Taxes doomed, taxes owed, revenue and revenue is owed. Um, yeah. Honor to yeah. 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 Uh, and so, and so that's the same principle. So he is actually right. applying it to the civil sphere. Right. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, but it's one of those things since it's not explicit enough, I guess, you know, and I, I don't, I don't mean to be sarcastic for nefarious purposes, but it's, it's just something that we need to really read and, and, and we need to have the discussion on this. So I'm hoping that somebody hears this show and, it, and, and, and what we're talking about and see these things, um, because I want a brotherhood underneath the authority of Jesus Christ <laughs> and more people, um, you know, like you guys going in front and singing Psalms and city hall, um, doing what you guys, what you, you and Dave did. And, you know, at the Capitol with the abortion issue, um, we need more people. And if, if the Christian would, would just influence be be the bottom up influence that we should be, because now we are a nations of, we are a nation of priests declaring the excellencies of Him who brought us out from darkness into His marvelous light, and we're supposed to do this everywhere with everybody. We're supposed to pray for kings too, but we're not just supposed to pray for them. But you know, like Paul even went to um, the government to do what to proclaim the gospel. So. <laughs> you know, like there's ample, ample examples here, um, amp- especially in a theonomic sense. Um, but um, just to, to end, man, we have got the super mega long one hour and 25 minutes on the clock anyway, and we're at point nine. Um, but uh, thank you guys for your time. Anyway, this is going to be a great episode because like you said, uh, you didn't know how much, uh, Brandon, you said anyway that you didn't know how much we talked about theonomy. We've we've mentioned it. It's grown more, um, but this is, a, this is a much needed episode for the tag you're it. And this is why I want you guys to be like fellows in this because I want this to be talked about more on the podcast. So um, I think this is very much needed, but uh, we'll sum this up as he sums this up in point nine. He says to sum up theonomy's central mistake is believing that God gave the judicial law of Israel as a universal norm of societal justice for all nations. So he says, certainly the moral law of God um, of the old covenant is a universal norm for all nations. And we ought to use the old Testament to help us understand God's moral law but the positive laws of the old covenant had many different functions according to scripture and all of them were bound to the unique objectives of the old covenant. As we have seen, the judicial law was tied to the land, to ceremonial worship and to the preservation of Christ's line of promise. Some of the judicial laws were simply designed to create a distinct culture for Israel that separated them from the nations. Others were about preserving family lines for the sake of property and inheritance um, that's part, but um, but uh, but all of the uh, positive laws of the old covenant were related to the typological character of the old covenant and or its unique cultural situation, place, and redemptive history. And so, you know, the issue here is he continues to beat 
just the ceremonial law. He's actually not talking about um, judicial law. Like judicial law was only there to maintain um, people around for Christ. Again, that's arbitrary. And uh, you know, he's like, he's done nothing to damage theonomy at all. Only he's only damaging theonomy to people who don't know theonomy or he haven't even read. I'm just making sure Brandon doesn't have anything to say here. <laughs> you guys are quiet, no, man, so. no. Uh, that's, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the very last sentence yeah. is an assertion, and he hasn't proved it. All the positive laws of the Old Covenant were related to the typological character of the Old Covenant and its unique cultural situation in place of redemptive history. Prove that. Yeah. Uh, prove that there was no other use for them. Because, again, I, you know, and I, I said this before we started, the biggest problem with, with what Mr. Tom Hicks has done here is he has said that um, there is part of the word of God that's not applicable to all of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a major problem with that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, just, and so I don't know if you have any ending conclusion, Josh, or, just on a practical level, thinking about, you know, we've, this is a good thing that we're talking about this as we, as we mentioned at the beginning, because for too long, Christians have just given up the civil realm. Mm-hmm. And we've said, you know, this is secular. This, you know, we don't have anything to say here. We can't impose, you know, God's law in this area on secularists. But, you know, I, I just think about how, and we've talked about how that's wrong, but I think about how different things could be right now because while we're living in a decaying, secularizing society, there still are a lot of Christians mm-hmm. where we live. Mm-hmm. And if these Christians, I mean, we were just talking about the abortion issue in our in our own state. If if these Christians would be, you know, contacting these legislators or speaking to these issues or or more pastors preaching and equipping their people to think about how we should apply God's law in the civil realm. You know, I think it'd be a lot different. You know, Mike Moon has talked about how very few calls they get and how very few calls it takes to change their minds. Yeah. And there, the point I'm making is that if Christians would see every area of life, the civil realm as being Christ's, um, there is real practical ground that could be taken. It's yeah. not something that's impossible. Oh, we don't have the numbers. It doesn't matter anyway. We can't do anything. We're so outnumbered. There's real practical local ground that could be taken for Christ. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. And, do you, and do you guys want it? Like, so how then are you going to live? I mean, that's the big question we always got to ask. So, I mean, really, um, uh, just as a last little question, how, what do you want to see um, the next step in the conversation with the articles like this? So, I would want a Baptist response to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if ever I had, if ever I had time, I would write. I would write. I just don't know that I have time. But uh, I'd, I'd love to see a, a real Baptistic um, response to to this. Um, that's that's willing to kind of because uh, because again, you know. So just. Um, I have plenty of disagreement with Bonson, Bonsinian, Rushdunian yeah. theonomy. I have plenty of disagreement with that. Um, and, uh, and so I would love to see, 
like you said, the Presbyterians have kind of had their heyday yeah. fighting over this. Um, but Baptists need to, and um, we we're able to do it in a more consistent way. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be able to uh, I'd love to be able to see it kind of evolve, and us be able to actually talk, not talk past each other. Yeah. Um, but interact with each other. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, I would I would love to see Baptists stop thinking that it's unbaptistic to want a theocracy. Yeah. Right. Or Christendom. Right. Yeah. Back in the 80s, Gary North, I believe it was, or at least was an editor of a series. And the first book in the series was, I forget the title of it, but it was all about the, he basically, I forget the title of the book, but he was blaming the decay of society on Baptistic theology oh, yes, and mindset. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because of the individualistic, <laughs> non covenantal mindset of Baptists. Yeah. But see, and, that's not all. Baptist because they're right. Uh, he, he, if he would I consider, don't agree if, with all of his arguments, yeah, if, of course. If he would, if he would be but, able to at least muster enough to say there are covenantal Baptists, right? Least, he was making <laughs> lots of strawmans and stuff. Yeah, but the point is, um, we we need to regain our covenantal, um, all of life theocratic mindset as Baptists and and not not create a caricature yeah. that that could be put on us like Gary North did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then it but was, join yeah, if, them in yeah. their efforts. Yeah. But then again, know? if you, uh, there's the uh, healing or healer of the nations or whatever, he mm-hmm. does go out of his way to say, you know, we can learn from all the denominations and he actually yeah. spoke good things about charismatics and Pentecostal. He's surprisingly ecumenical. So, yeah, so yeah. there is there is that. I don't I don't want everybody to Absolutely. hear Gary North, Gary North is like this mean dude. I no, no, no. He can get he'll get stern when he needs to get stern, but he'll give credit where credit is due. Um, so don't be afraid of Gary North. Don't be afraid of Rush Dooney. There's they're men. Uh, Martin Luther was a man. Calvin was a man. Swingley was a man. Bollinger was a man. But they're all got so much stuff that they can provide, and so we don't have to do this contemporarily. We can go. Back in time, we should be able to see this stuff fly from from the time that the scriptures were inscripturated and people had them, and um, we get through church history down to today. We should be able to see these kind of things, and we don't have to be. Uh, I, I, maybe we're afraid of Baptist landmarkism again. I don't know. I just found my like in the move. I found my little trail of blood book, and I want to read it again just for fun. <laughs> Very good one. But anyway, um, guys, thank you so much for your time, Josh and Brandon. Um, glad to sort of just continue our work with you and 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 being able to um, have deeper discussions get into these kind of things with you guys and just look, hope for more in the future um, and then more action um, from tag your it and everything being more involved um, in action and not just a bunch of talking on podcast and whatnot but hopefully this uh, this commitment to each other in a way um, as we further things along just builds up more um, edification and uh, gets to more people um, so, you know, again, for Christendom, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a big deal. So with that said, uh, this is the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Joshua. And I'm Brandon. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.